Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown and beyond. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. So glad you're with us. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful afternoon. Uh, It was supposed to be another miserably hot day today, but I think the rain coming through cooled it down a little bit. I thought it was totally comfortable out today. I rode the Harley downtown today again, which I love to do. Saw a lot of my fellow motorcycle riders out, uh, which is always fun. And uh, it's fun to bring the bike downtown too. And uh, anyway, whatever you were into and enjoying this afternoon, uh, we hope it involved uh, getting outside, uh, exercising your Second Amendment rights. If you went out and shot some sporting clays, went out and shot some long distance, went to an outdoor uh, pistol range, whatever it might have been, uh, we hope you also got to go uh, bust some primers and uh, enjoy your Second Amendment rights on a day like today. It's a great day for it. And always, and I'm always looking for these opportunities, uh, seek out where there's training going on in your area. Listen, uh, in the wording of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia. The Second Amendment uh, is uh, is beautiful, I think, in its wording, especially when you really understand what all of the words mean. And a lot of them have been interpreted by the U.S. Supreme Court. For instance, well-regulated, as used in 1789 when the Second Amendment was ratified, meant nothing more than well-equipped, well-trained, efficient, able to do its job. That's what well-regulated meant. Like a well-regulated clock keeps perfect time. That's what a well-regulated militia means. It doesn't mean regulated by the government, and and that that dispute's been settled for many years. So don't ever put up with that if you hear an alternative uh, definition for that term. And the militia, as Supreme Court is all also said, and as I've been saying for decades, is every person. It's every private citizen. It's me. It's you. That's what the militia means. And so if it's you and me, and we're necessary for the security of a free state, which our founding fathers said, I couldn't agree more, it's to some degree our obligation to be well-regulated. How do we do that? Well, we become well-trained and well-equipped. And that doesn't mean everybody has to participate. Uh, people would rather not. People aren't comfortable. For whatever reason, I respect that entirely. But for those of us who have made the decision to be firearms owners, then really it's up to us and it's our personal responsibility. It's not something that should ever be mandated by the state, mandated by the government to come in and require it because it's a constitutional freedom that you're exercising. But to the extent that you choose to exercise that right as a matter of personal responsibility, really it's incumbent upon us as a matter of personal responsibility and pride and respect for our community, respect for our, for others around us, including our families, that we're going to be well-regulated. So I hope you look for those opportunities. I'm a training junkie. Even though I've been an instructor for 25, 30 years, I still take as many training courses as I can fit into my schedule because I always learn something, I always get better, I always become just a little bit more well-regulated. That's what that process is all about. And, you know, for someone who not only fights for Second Amendment rights, but takes those rights very seriously and takes the responsibilities that come along with it very seriously, as I always have. I mean, that's why I wrote a book on gun safety. It's one of the reasons I became an instructor. For those people around me, I wanted to, to be trained and competent to help them be knowledgeable, trained, equipped, well-regulated. And, and, and I know so many, I mean, so many, hundreds, thousands of people that I've encountered over the years 
feel exactly the same way. And that's why a lot of us get really insulted when we have members of the government out there, including both candidates for mayor right here in Indianapolis, where I'm sitting right now, who think that we're the problem. People that are lawfully carrying a firearm under constitutional carry. We're the problem. We're, if, you, if you eradicate our right to defend ourselves, you eradicate our Second Amendment right to bear arms, that'll keep people safer in Marion County? Well, that's what both Democrat Joe Hogsett and Republican, much to our great disappointment, and frankly, that's angered a lot of people. It's very much angered me. I'm sure you've picked up on that. If you follow me on social media, either on Facebook, which is just Guy Relford, Guy A. Relford, on Facebook or on Twitter at Guy Relford, uh, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry about a Republican who pledged support for the Second Amendment when he ran for state Senate, filled out a form for the NRA where he pledged support on all significant Second Amendment issues to, for instance, oppose a so-called assault weapon ban, to support constitutional carry. Those things have been on the NRA form for years and years and years. And I haven't seen the form that Jefferson Shreve filled out. But I know what the form looks like. I know what it's looked like for years. I know the answers he had to give pledging support for Second Amendment principles before he ever would have gotten what's called an AQ rating from NRA. AQ is A, meaning you answered all the questions the right way, supporting the Second Amendment, but Q is qualified because you don't actually have a voting record because you haven't actually been elected to anything yet. And Shreve actually got waxed in that primary. He got beat by Jack Sandlin, who's an excellent state senator right here from Indianapolis. And I'm very glad Jack Sandlin won that election, given recent events. But now, having failed in his other attempt to enter politics here in Indiana, he's now running for mayor. And, you know, it's interesting. Some of the reaction, most of the reaction I've gotten, whether to my criticisms on social media, uh, to articles I've written, uh, I, I wrote an article saying Shreve's attack on Second Amendment rights should not be supported by Indianapolis voters. And I put that on the2aproject.com. You can go out there and read that article. Please do. And, and please share it. A lot of people have said, well, Guy, you must just want Joe Hogsett. And every time you criticize Jefferson Shreve, you idiot, you're helping Joe Hogsett get elected. You must love Joe Hogsett. One complete moron on social media, on Twitter, said, how much are they paying you? That is the Hogsett campaign to be attacking Jefferson Shreve. Listen, let's make something extremely clear. I've been a, a critic of Joe Hogsett since before he was elected. I've known Joe Hogsett for a long time. We practiced law together. 40 years ago, how about that, for establishing me as an old dude? very first job as a lawyer I had was at a law firm then called Bingham Summers of Wilson Spillman. It's changed its name a number of times, but it's a larger firm in downtown Indianapolis. Joe Hogs, that was already an associate attorney there when I started as a law clerk. And then eventually I graduated law school and I passed the bar and I got offered a job. And, and so I practiced there as a young associate attorney at the same time Joe Hogs, who I think is two years ahead of me, if I remember correctly, where he was already a lawyer. And, and we socialized together. We went on boating trips together. I spent a lot of time with Joe Hogsett. And we, I've always known our politics were completely different. But man, the direction he's gone since then has led me to be one of his most vocal critics. The fact that he disappeared during the middle of a riot is unforgivable. The fact that he put out this ridiculous gun control proposal which has passed the Indiana, or excuse me, the Indianapolis City County Council. It's an res- ordinance. It's passed. It's contingent on the state legislature repealing or otherwise modifying the Indiana Firearms Preemption Act, which right now prohibits the city of Indianapolis from regulating firearms at all. So it means nothing. It, yeah, it's an ordinance. It's on the books, but it doesn't go into effect until legally the city of Indianapolis can regulate firearms, which they cannot do today. 
But the fact that he wanted to do it and the fact that he thinks law-abiding citizens exercising their Second Amendment rights are the problem or the cause of violence in Marion County, I, I've been as vocal as I could be on that. I showed up and testified against it at the hearing in the Public Safety Committee of the City County Council. I was there opposing what Joe Hogsett wanted to do. I'm no friend of Joe Hogsett. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll go into why it is that I think Jefferson Shreve, as a Republican, touting his anti-Second Amendment views is dramatically more dangerous than Joe Hogsett is. I'll explain that in detail when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So before the break, I was mentioning, and it's it's kind of bizarre how we ended up here, but I was mentioning that I consider Jefferson Shreve as a Republican, as a candidate for mayor in Indianapolis, to be substantially more dangerous than Joe Hawks. And, and let me explain exactly why. And for the people not smart enough to figure this out on social media, Right, they're going, oh, well, you, you must be a fan of Joe Hogsett. How much are they paying you, guy? How ludicrous is that? But here's why. It's because, for instance, both the Shreve plan on gun control, and they're identical, but for one particular proposal is in Hogsett's plan, in fact, in his ordinance, that goes into effect if the Indiana legislature ever allows it to go into effect. They're, they're identical. They both want to raise the minimum age to buy any gun to 21. Well, let's explain that. You already have to be 21 to go into a gun store to buy a handgun. You only have to be 18 to buy a rifle or a shotgun. So purportedly, this plan would be, according to both Jefferson Shreve and Joe Hogsett, is that you go into a gun store in Marion County, you got to be 21 to buy a now a rifle or a shotgun. So get this. You can be 18 and go into the military. You, you can join the Marines. You can go to the desert, drive a tank, or run drones, or operate artillery, or be equipped with a select fire M4 rifle. And the United States government is... Perfectly okay with that. Your your country is incredibly grateful for that. And you come home as a 19 or 20-year-old, and you can't go in your local gun store and, and buy a shotgun to go sporting clay shooting or rabbit hunting with your with your dad. And Jefferson Shreve and Joe Hawks would think that's gonna keep people safer in Marion County. They also both want to ban so-called assault weapons. Well, again, you're talking about the most commonly owned rifles in America, so there's no way that's constitutional. Supreme Court has already said the most the, those, those firearms that are that are commonly used for lawful purposes are protected by the Second Amendment. The the AR-15, which both Jefferson Shreve and Joe Hogsett would call an assault weapon, quote unquote, I call a modern sporting rifle, is the most commonly owned rifle in America. Is that protected by the Second Amendment? Of course it is. And the Supreme Court has only solidified those rulings in recent years. So there's no way that's constitutional. But oh no, that's going to somehow keep people safer in Marion County. They both want to repeal constitutional carry within Marion County. Well, this Indiana State Legislature just, just passed that last year. After a long fight, but it, was, it passed by a significant majority in the Indiana State House. And then the only difference is that Joe Hogsett also wants to preclude all concealed carry within Marion County. And get this, just last fall, in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case, the United States Supreme Court said carrying a concealed firearm outside the home is a fundamental right protected by the Second Amendment. And New York's licensing scheme, which was simply restrictive, and, and, and only allowed some people, based on the discretion of a government official, only allowed some people and very, very few people to carry a concealed firearm outside the home, particularly a concealed handgun. 
that because it was so restrictive and it allowed discretion by our government official, that was unconstitutional. Because if you only get to exercise a constitutionally protected freedom with the permission of the government, it's no longer a constitutional freedom. Now, it's an administrative right granted by the government. That's not how the Second Amendment's written. That's not what our founding fathers envisioned. Supreme Court of the United States just last fall said that specifically. Joe Hoxett says it's constitutional to do away with all concealed carry. It's not like government officials have some discretion on who can carry and who can't. Oh, no. We're going to do away with it completely. The Supreme Court of the United States just last fall said you can't do that, Joe. What idiots on the, in the city attorney's office told you you could do this? It's ludicrous. It's crazy. I've said it before. What did, did, did no one in the city attorney's office actually attend law school the day they taught law? Because that's the only way you can come up with some kind of an argument that that's somehow legal and constitutional. But I still say, and let me explain why I think Jefferson Shreve is more dangerous. Because both of their gun control proposals here in Marion County would require the Indiana General Assembly to repeal or modify the Firearms Preemption Act. What's the Re- Preemption Act? If you haven't heard me discuss that before, it's the Indiana state law that was passed in 2011. It says local governments like the city of Indianapolis can't regulate firearms. Specifically, they can't regulate the carrying, possession, ownership, or commerce in firearms, ammunition, or firearms accessories. Now, there are several exceptions. For instance, if a private organizer or promoter of an event like the Colts or the Pacers, if they lease property from the city, and when I say political subdivision, we're just talking about a unit of local government, like a city or a town or a county. If if the Colts lease property from the city of Indianapolis, as they do in the form of Lucas Oil Stadium, there's an exception that allows them to prohibit firearms on that city property during the Colts game. It doesn't make it illegal to carry a gun in Lucas Oil Stadium at all times. It just means the Colts can keep guns out of there if they want to. So there are certain exceptions, but none of those exceptions apply to what Joe Hogsett wants to do. None of those exceptions apply to what Jefferson Shreve wants to do. But the Indiana General Assembly would have to buy in to what both these people want to do. Jefferson Shreve, as a Republican, touting this plan is more dangerous than Joe Hogsett. Because listen, Joe Hogsett is who he is. He's a Democrat. He's a liberal. Everybody knows Joe Hogsett. Everybody knows who he is and what he is. If that's what you want for the city of Indianapolis, hey, he's been elected twice. He's certainly going to get elected a third time because Jefferson Shreve has blown his shot. But to the extent that Joe Hogsett goes to the Republican supermajorities in both houses of the Indiana General Assembly and asks them to amend the, the Indiana Firearms Preemption Act, what chance do you think Joe Hogsett has? Jefferson Shreve has already come out, and he said, as a Republican, I have relationships with the Republicans in the Indiana General Assembly. I think I can go to the Indiana General Assembly and convince them to allow Marion County to adopt my gun control proposals because I'm a Republican and I have the relationships to make that happen. He's using his nominal conservancy. Conservatism is the word I was looking for. The fact that he's a Republican, there's an R before his name, I can make this happen because I have an R before my name. Do I think that's going to happen? Oh, hell no. Is it more likely for Jefferson Shreve to be able to do it in some form, to whittle away in some way at a state statute that protects our Second Amendment rights and has every day since 2011? Certainly. I think he's got zero shot, but if you say he's got 1% shot, that's more shot than Joe Hoxett has. That's why Jefferson Shreve is more dangerous. A person who lied to us in 2016 and said he supports Second Amendment rights has now stabbed us in the back on the Second Amendment and wants to win this race as a Republican, look, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Joe Hogsett is just a wolf when it comes to our Second Amendment rights. That's the difference. And listen, if I thought Jefferson Shreve ever had a legitimate chance, 
and, and, and certainly since he announced this plan, he's got no shot. What I don't want is for this to even be close and have the next Republican candidate think it somehow works and it can be a successful campaign strategy for a Republican to stab us in the back on the Second Amendment. That's not okay. That's not okay. Everybody knows who Joe Hogs it is. If he's reelected, which he no doubt will be, well, we know what we got. What we don't want to do is reward someone with an R next to their name who's stabbing us in the back on the Second Amendment. That's not okay. That'll never be okay. And I'll take, as miserable as it will be, I'll take four more years of Joe Hogsett long before I'll support a Republican who's turned his back on the Constitution of the United States of America. That's how that works. That's where I'm coming from. We come back. I'll, I'll go into a little bit. Uh, Jefferson Shreve appeared. He won't appear on my show. I've been asking him since he came out with his gun control proposal. They haven't even considered it. But on Wednesday, he uh, went on Kendall and Casey, the late morning show, 9 to noon on WIBC. And, uh, and he was on there for three segments. It's 27 minutes long. He was on there for quite some time. I, I've posted the whole interview on my social media, both Twitter and Facebook. I'm sure you can find it at WIBC as well. And and for some reason, even though he wasn't asked about me, he felt the need to bring my name up. We'll talk about that and uh, what I have to say in response when we come back. In the meantime, if you want to talk about the Indianapolis mayor's race, uh, you have any comments, uh, you want to ask questions, either one, give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. By the way, some people have started to call in. That's awesome. I will go to the phone lines here in just a bit. But I mentioned even at the top of the show that um, Jefferson Shreve uh, came on WYBC. He won't come on my show. He won't come on Hammer and Nigel. I think it'd be perfect if he came on Hammer and Nigel, 3.35 on Mondays, man. Monday, gun day, I'll be there. Hammer and Nigel will be there. We'll have a good old roundtable discussion. Bring your chief strategist, who for some reason likes to try to debate me on social media. It never goes very well for him. But Mark Lubbers, same guy as I talked about it extensively last week, who drove Senator Richard Luger's career into the dirt with with what? <laughs> with anti-Second Amendment proposals, including support for a so-called assault weapon ban in 1994. Hey, Eventually, an election or two later, earned an F rating from the NRA, and that's what did him in. And listen, I've had people contact me after I discussed that last week and say, you know, Luger lost for a number of different reasons. He, he moved to the center, if not the left, on a lot of different issues, not just guns. He'd been there too long. He was part of the swamp. I get all that, but I'll tell you right now. You go to Luger's camp, including this Mark Lubbers guy, his campaign manager at the time. I said it was a principal reason that Luger lost. And I'll tell you, well, when the NRA came out and supported okay. his opponent, Richard Murdoch, and the F rating, first, and my recollection is, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, my recollection is first Republican in the Senate ever get an F rating from the NRA and he couldn't survive it. It's the reason he didn't win the, the primary. Now did, were people upset that he moved to the center or if not the left on several other issues? I'm sure they were, but what put Murdoch over the top was the NRA opposition and that F rating. And I, I think if you don't understand that, you weren't paying attention in 2012 what he lost. But I've invited these people on my show. Hammer and Nigel invited them on. If they're scared of being on there on Monday gun day, which apparently they are, all right, go on Hammer and Nigel when I'm not there. Guarantee you, Hammer and Nigel both will ask you tough questions. We'll see if you can stand up to it. But they did go on on the Kendall and Casey show. And listen, I'm always busy at work, uh, you know, at my day job, uh, nine to noon when Kendall or Casey and Casey are on. So I... I literally never get to hear them, and 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 so I wasn't able to hear this interview as well. But I did go back and listen to the podcast, 
And, and, and listen, I'm not ever going to criticize another host because listen, we all have different styles. We all have different approaches to interviews. And, and frankly, we all have different levels of comfort when it comes to being adversarial with people. To have someone sitting right across the studio from you and be willing to get in their face, not literally, but figuratively speaking, on, on tough issues. And we, not everybody has a comfort level with that. And I, and I completely understand that. And, and so that is a reason I'll never publicly criticize another host for their approach to an interview. But going into that, what I was hopeful of, because on the few times I have been able to catch Kendall and Casey, I mean, one, one of Rob Kendall's themes that you hear often is, is that he's very critical of Republicans who aren't true to conservative principles. And he talks a lot about rhinos and sellouts. And so he had, in my view, the biggest rhino we've seen in quite some time sitting in a studio. And I was hoping for um, a lot more direct and uh, call it aggressive, if you like, questioning and that, that re didn't really happen. But listen, judge for yourself. You can go on WIBC, Kendall and Casey, find the, the full, like it's 27 minutes. It was three segments. And... Uh, and you may disagree. And again, I'm not criticizing. We all have different styles and different approaches and, and different comfort level with, with taking on people directly. I'm a litigator. I mean, I fight for a living, so I'm strangely comfortable with those issues, which is probably a reason why Jefferson Shreve would never dream of coming on my show. But at one point, and this was very interesting to me, because neither Rob Kendall nor or Casey Daniels asked Jefferson Shreve about me or my criticism. But Jefferson Shreve felt the need to bring me up. This city that are just so different in terms of what folks have to contend with as they send their kids out the front door. So I guess I'm confused on what he's... Uh, you know what? I totally screwed that up. That is not the producer's fault. I started that at the wrong place. I, I, I am going to redo that after this break. Um, and we'll, we'll completely do that. I just played the very tail end of that interview. That's why we have professional producers and we have hosts like me who are incompetent at trying to be producers. So I totally screwed that, that bit up, uh, that segment up. I will replay that when we come back from this break. In fact, we're coming up on the three-quarter hour. Let's go into this break. I will figure out my gaffe and have the right segment uh, to play here when we come back. We're taking a break. And by the way, we will go to the phone lines after I successfully get through playing this segment when we come back from this break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And as I mentioned, I screwed up the audio, but as I mentioned uh, during Jefferson Shreve's appearance on The Kendall and Casey Show on Wednesday... He's explaining his position as part of his so-called public safety plan, uh, why he supports gun control, and why he's turned his back on the Second Amendment, and for some reason uh, felt the need to bring me up. And here's what he had to say. Rules and accommodations that I am going to argue for that I think are specific to the challenges that we have right here at home. And you know, Zionsville is a world apart. A, a, a guy, Rilford, uh, whom I don't know personally, but I certainly respect, lives up in Zionsville. My sister lives in Zionsville. The challenges of public safety in Zionsville are a world apart from other parts of this city. And as a mayoral candidate, I tell you what, I have been in parts of this city that are just so different in terms of what folks have to contend with as they send their kids out the front door. So I guess... I so, so, and you heard Hammer's voice there. That's because he asked me about this when I appeared on the Hammer and Nigel show to discuss it later Wednesday after the Kendall and Casey show. So, so let's let's break this down a little bit. What Jefferson Shreve is saying is is well, I live in Zionsville, which I do. I've, I've mentioned that often publicly. It's on all my social media. My office is in Carmel. Where am I doing this show from right now? on Monument Circle at the beautiful Radio One, formerly Emma's studio uh, at 40 Monument Circle. Where are most of my cases? 
that I litigate as attorneys, Marion County. Used to be the city county building. Now the courts are down at the new justice center on Southeastern. Off at Southeastern. So, you know, what, where, where have I been coming to socialize? You know, I, I had Colt season tickets for 30 some years. Where'd I come to those? Marion County. And what he's saying essentially is, I guess if you don't live in Marion County, you don't understand what's going on in Marion County. And that's ludicrous to me. I'm not older than Jefferson Shreve. I, I, I dare say I've spent more time in public places in Marion County over my lifetime than Jefferson Shreve has. I was a guy who was accosted by a, a violent, threatening homeless dude on Monument Circle that I had to have arrested, who was, by the way, prosecuted and convicted of intimidation because he accosted me on Monument Circle. And, 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 and I spent a hell of a lot of time. I'm, I'm there right now. I'm down here twice a week at least to do radio. I'm down here at least two or three times a week to handle cases in Marion County. And to suggest that I don't understand what's going on in Marion County because I don't live in Marion County is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, and guess what? When I'm in Marion County, I'm subjected to the laws of Marion County. You pass an ordinance that affects my Second Amendment rights, that's affecting me every second that I'm in Marion County, wherever I happen to live. And that's true of millions of other people that come and go from this city. And if you think the problem with people now today being unwilling to come downtown, to come unwilling to come down here and go to the restaurants, to go to the entertainment venues, to go to the sporting events, because they don't trust the city administration to keep them safe. And they and they if if they're willing to come down here, people like me at least want to take on the responsibility themselves to keep themselves and their families safe. And you want to inhibit that? For those of us who have to come down here for work, that directly affects me. Don't tell me I can't have an opinion and I don't have valid input on the laws of Marion County that affect me every minute I'm here, including right now while I'm doing this radio show. That's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. Oh, Guy Rover doesn't understand the challenges in Marion County. The hell are you talking about? You think I live in my basement in Boone County and never leave? I've got every right to voice an opinion. And you know what? When you go out and espouse what I consider to be an unconstitutional, illegal proposal, and I spend hundreds and hundreds of hours in Marion County every month, you're going to tell me I don't have the right to have an opinion? You're going to tell anybody else who visits Marion County? Regularly being, will be subjected to these same laws every minute they, they cross the county line. We can't have an opinion. We can't voice an opinion. It's kind of ludicrous. He's saying that to Rob Kendall, suggesting I don't deserve to have a valid opinion. And he's saying that apparently he cares about the opinion of Rob Kendall because that's who he's talking to. Where's Rob Kendall live? Brownsburg. That's in Hendricks County. So look, if you don't like what I have to say, then meet me on the merits. Take me on on the substance of what I have to say. If I say you're a backstabber and a traitor to the Second Amendment, defend your position and tell me why I'm wrong. What you should not do is tell me I don't have the right to a valid opinion. In the meantime, we're coming up on the top of the hour. It's time to take a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Today, having wrapped up the discussion uh, on uh, indie mayoral candidate, quote-unquote Republican, Jefferson Shreve, uh, tell you what, we've had some people on hold for quite some time. Let's go to the phone lines. And Chris, Chris, thanks for your patience, man. Uh, thanks for calling the Gun Guy Show. Chris, you still there, brother? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate everything you do, man. I, I think you're the, the only one for Indiana. <laughs> I appreciate that but, a lot. Anyway, uh, I think Jefferson Shreve, I, I think he's the same thing as Governor Holcomb on a smaller scale. Uh, in a Demo- he, he's in a Democrat costume is how I see it. Yeah, I mean, well, why why do you why do you equate him to Governor Holcomb, Chris? Because Governor Holcomb, he 
he's a Democrat too. I mean, he ain't, he ain't a Republican. Okay. All right. Well, listen, um, Governor Holcomb got a lot of criticism from a lot of people. Um, and, and on some things, me too. Um, especially through the pandemic and, and a lot of people were hoping for leadership more like Ron DeSantis, frankly, governor in Florida, uh, or, uh, or Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota, which didn't have a lockdown. And, uh, a lot of people looked at some of those governors and said, man, you know, I want one of those. Um, but when it comes to, and I understand that criticism, by the way, and, 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 and I participated in it to some degree, I always said at the same time, though, I can't imagine being in a job like governor during something so unprecedented. And that doesn't mean that a lot of us weren't disappointed, if not outraged, at some of the, the lockdowns and, and the restrictions and the policies. And, and a lot of people were upset by that. Um, there were some bills, some more conservative bills uh, that he vetoed that that, you know, that people were disappointed in, the... Um, I think the protection of uh, a female athletics bill, or if you want to call it the transgender sports bill, people were disappointed in. But but one thing I always want to give Governor Holcomb credit for is he signed constitutional carry, and there were there was a lot of pressure on him to not sign it. And in fact, you know, he had not been a very vocal uh, supporter of it. In fact, he wasn't a supporter of it at all. And. And he had said historically that he didn't want to do anything that was quote unquote opposed by police. And I think there he had superintendent Doug Carter, uh, having a big influence on him, uh, superintendent Carter, who I consider a friend by the way. And we could not have been more adverse in, in the hearings. I mean, we, we, we went at each other in some of the, the, uh, committee hearings on constitutional carry, uh, and things we said to the media, and uh, we were we were directly adverse. But you know what? Um, before those hearings and afterward, I always shook his hand. Uh, if not, uh, give him a hug. And, and I like Doug Carter, and I respect him a lot. But, but he, he clearly had Governor Holcomb's ear. And Governor Holcomb, even during the debate, if you remember, before he was reelected for his last term, I mean, he's termed out now, but before he was reelected in the debate, you know, we had— Libertarian Donald Rainwater, who was all in on constitutional carry. In fact, he had my organization's website, uh, the 2A Project. He had a link to to our website on his campaign page saying how he supported the 2A Project and he supported constitutional carry. And listen, I never endorsed Donald Rainwater, but he was all in on constitutional carry. And when that came up during the debate— after Rainwater said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I believe that law-abiding citizens shouldn't have to ask permission from the government to exercise a constitutional right. It, when, it, when it went over to Governor Holcomb, he said, well, I don't want to do anything that's opposed by our police officers. And listen, not all police officers oppose constitutional carry. You know, that, we hear that all the time now. Jefferson Shreve. You're probably rolling your eyes going, oh, God, he's going to go back to Jefferson Shreve. You know, he said, oh, well, all police officers oppose this. No, they don't. We had at the at the committee hearing in the public policy committee last year, right after the bill was introduced, the bill that ultimately got passed, signed into law, we had more police officers show up to support it than did to oppose it. Now, they brought out a whole lot more people when we went over to the Senate, and they had Liz Brown, Senator Liz Brown, chairing that committee who was very hostile to us, even though she's a quote-unquote Republican as well. And well, we had like, four or five different members of the Fort Wayne police department all showed up to testify. And so a lot of cops came in to testify, and obviously superintendent Carter as well and others. IMPD showed up to oppose it, but not all elected sheriffs showed up to support it. The, the, the sheriff in Hamilton County, where I have my office, where I grew up, Dennis Quakenbush showed up to support it. Not all law enforcement opposed it, but at the end of the day, even though I know, you know, here's someone on his cabinet that is Superintendent Carter. You know, he's on the governor's staff and has a lot of access to him. And I'm sure he was pushing the governor to veto constitutional carry. And and he didn't. He signed it. Now, I think we had the votes, which in Indiana, all it takes is a simple majority to override a veto, a veto which happened on the trans, transgender sports bill. 
And I think it would have happened on constitutional carry, but we didn't have to because the governor signed it. And you know what? Uh, I believe in being a critic where it's due, but I also believe in giving credit where it's due. And uh, and I think that's true uh, when it comes to Governor Holcomb and his support for the Second Amendment, at least in signing constitutional carry, which was a big, big deal. And it's nothing I'll ever minimize and something I still appreciate. Let's go back to the phone lines. John's been on hold for a while. John, you had a question? Yeah, Guy, I got two questions. Um, first one, uh, what would you recommend as a uh, insurance for a Second Amendment uh, if, if I had to use my gun and then need legal, legal uh, help? Yeah, well, John, um, I'll, I always answer that this way, and that is that I have had um, insurance through the Concealed Carry uh, Association, the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, USCCA, uh, since 2012. So for 11 years, I've had that insurance. I think I've got their platinum level. Um, you know, I pay for it. It's a little bit of money every month. The coverage limits are nice and high. I get to pick my own lawyer. Um, now, uh, full disclosure, I haven't done it in a couple of years, but for uh, for a year or two, they had me coming in to teach their, what they call their self-defense uh, legal seminars. It'd be an hour and it would be like 45 minutes of me talking about the law of self-defense. And then it was 15 minutes uh, of really what was a sales pitch to get people to buy their insurance. And they paid me a little bit of money for that. So full disclosure, if anybody wants to, uh, you know, put an asterisk next to my endorsement because they paid me some money, uh, but they haven't done that. They, I think they've talked somebody else into doing it for free because they haven't had me do that in a couple of years. But I, I guarantee you, I've paid them a hell of a lot more money than they've paid me. So anyway, I've had USCCA. John, was that was that your only question? No, I have a question. Okay, man. You, you think we, we appreciate you calling. And here quickly before we take a break at the quarter hour, let's go back to the phone lines. Rob has called. Rob, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Thank you. Hey, uh, I got a quick question on the recent. Supreme Court ruling on silencers. No, Rob, we don't have a Supreme Court ruling on silencers. Um, there, there are uh, cases out there going up through the system, um, but I'm not sure what you read. What, what, did, what did you think the Supreme Court said about silencers? Well, they ruled on a Texas case uh, where Texas uh, decided that uh, Texas citizens don't have to uh, register their silencers on the NFA. Uh, as long as the, sil- the silencer is manufactured in Texas and is uh, owned by a Texas uh, resident. Yeah, that, that that was a lower court ruling, Rob, and uh, the, the Supreme Court, SCOTUS, has not yet ruled on that. Um, so that doesn't affect us yet here in Indiana. In fact, no other court opinion has come out on that. So a lot of times people see rulings from lower courts. Uh, a lot of times they'll hear, you'll see it's from a state Supreme Court or even a state lower court. And then all of a sudden it's rolling around the Internet that uh, the Supreme Court has ruled this way or that way. And, uh, no, we don't have that ruling from from the U.S. Supreme Court case yet. Um, but uh, I'd love to see it. Um, I'd love to see suppressors uh, taken out of the National Firearms Act altogether. They're an accessory that, that make, make them, for the most part, on a lot of firearms anyway, hearing safe. And in, in, as, as restrictive as, as the U.K., as England is, on guns, they're incredibly restrictive. There are places, if you're going to shoot a gun in public, you have to use a suppressor. And that's the United Kingdom. As, 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 as oppressive as they are on firearms, they see use of a suppressor as simply being a good neighbor and as a safety device to help make a, a, a gun hearing safe. Why on God's earth would we treat that like the other things regulated under the National Firearms Act. I think the whole National Firearms Act just ought to go away. But of all the ludicrous things in the National Firearms Act, uh, the fact that we include suppressors within that, I guarantee I know where it came from. In 1934, members of Congress were watching, you know, gangster movies about Al Capone or, 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 or John Dillinger or who knows what. And they were like, oh, my God, these people have silencers, which, by the way, is a brand name from the guy who invented this, the suppressor, Hiram Percy Maxwell, uh, Maxim, excuse me. And uh, that was his brand name. They don't silence anything. But anyway, some member of Congress looked at that and went, we're going to have these ninja assassins running around with silencers, and they're going to be murdering people left and right, and nobody's going to know it. 
and and not even understanding what the technology does and doesn't do. So it's dumb. I wish we'd have them taken out. And I'd love to see a Supreme Court case that said what you mentioned, but we haven't seen that yet. Right now, we're a little past the quarter hour. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guys Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guys Show on 93 WIBC. We're so glad you're with us. We are broadcasting here from the beautiful studio uh, at Radio One, which is 40 Monument Circle. Um, I'm enjoying the heck out of my day. I uh, got to ride the Harley down here since the weather held out for me. Hope hope it still is. We have these little pop-up thunderstorms all the time this time of year. It feels like Florida, both in terms of the temperature, and then we get these little pop-up thunderstorms that nobody ever predicts. Uh, but, hey, if it happens, it happens. wouldn't be the first time since I've been riding motorcycles my whole damn life. So we had a caller come in. And, by the way, we had great callers um, join the discussion here. We're, you know, we, we've got three more segments left. Uh, give us a call, 317-239-9393. Always enjoy hearing from our listeners. Uh, and you can join the discussion with your questions. But uh, a listener asked about a uh, Supreme Court ruling on suppressors. Well, we haven't seen that yet. But there is a case that's now in front of the Supreme Court. And, and look, it's there on uh, sort of a preliminary matter. But this could turn into a big deal, and it may end up back in the Supreme Court here at some point uh, for a complete substantive ruling on the merits, as we say. Um, and that is on the the so-called uh, frames and receivers ruling that we got from the ATF here not too long ago. If you remember, as part of um, President Biden's uh, so-called you know, gun safety plan, which is just the anti-Second Amendment plan. But one of the things they did, they, they said they were worried about ghost guns, right? Guns that don't have serial numbers on them. And so in order to combat this problem they see with quote-unquote ghost guns, they, they issued a ruling that basically says that a, a kit that simply includes some of the parts to make a gun should be regulated like a gun. And, and, and that those people who sell these kits have to be uh, licensed to, as firearms instructors, excuse me, as firearms sellers, what we call um, a, 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 a FF, an FFL, a federal firearms licensee, and, and then anyone who buys them has to go through a background check, and then they have to be serialized. And it's really turned the, the wording of Congress, in terms of Congress's definition of firearm, uh, right on its head, because that's never been the interpretation. And, and, and interesting, and importantly, this is the ATF deciding really to change the words of a federal statute, including the definition of firearm, that was passed by Congress without going back to Congress. And I got to tell you, when we see these things on gun control, we have to, to some degree trace some responsibility back where it belongs. And that's with President Trump. Listen, do I wish President Trump won the election? A lot of people think he did anyway. But do I wish he was our president today instead of Joe Biden? Of course I do. Did I enthusiastically vote for him again? Yes. But one thing that we have to we have to be honest about, which is that President Trump, after the horrific mass shooting in Las Vegas, still the most deadly uh, mass shooting we've seen in the United States ever in history. And that shooter, even though there's so much we don't know, I'll guarantee you, there was. I'm not much of a conspiracy theory guy at all. You very rarely hear me talk about conspiracy theories here on the Gun Guy Show. There's something totally weird and and stuff and that we don't know. The public does not know about that shooting, about that shooter, about who was or wasn't also involved, why he had that number of guns in his hotel room there at Mandalay Bay overlooking the country music music festival where he 
reportedly broke some windows out and started shooting. But he supposedly used a bump stock, if not more than one. And President Trump came out soon after that. Again, worst mass shooting we've ever seen. And President Trump said, oh, bump stocks are gone. The NRA, which requires some accountability here too. NRA came out and said, oh, we invite the ATF to re-examine the legality of bump stocks. Well, the NRA endorses it. President Trump orders it. But what were we talking about? We're talking about changing the definition of machine gun in a federal statute, the National Firearms Act of 1934, so as to outlaw bump stocks. And that's exactly what the ATF did. They rewrote their interpretation, quote-unquote, of the definition of, of, of machine gun. And listen, machine gun's got a very straightforward definition in the National Firearms Act. And that is, if you only get one bullet per trigger pull, it's not a machine gun. If you pull the trigger one time and you get more than one bullet, now it's an automatic firearm, can be regulated as a machine gun. That's pretty easy. A bump stock does not convert a firearm into a machine gun. You still pull the trigger for every bullet that leaves the barrel. A bump stock allows a gun to essentially, it facilitates it. By the way, there's plenty of other ways to do it. I've seen people do it with a rubber band. I've seen people do it with a belt loop. Hook your thumb into your belt loop, hold the gun at the hip, and allow the gun to essentially bounce back and forth. And if you keep your finger rigid, essentially in one location, that's what a bump stock does. The gun essentially bounces off your shoulder, and as it bounces back and forth off your shoulder, just holding your finger rigid allows you to pull the trigger very, very quickly. But you still only get one bullet per trigger pull. ATF had to completely get creative and change the wording of Congress in its interpretation to, to quote-unquote, ban bump stocks. And listen, machine guns aren't banned. In 1986, Congress passed what we call the Hughes Amendment, which basically said that they were putting a moratorium on the importation or sale of any machine guns that weren't registered as of that date. So you have to, in order to have a machine gun today as a civilian, it has to be transferable. What's that mean? It means it was manufactured or imported before April of 1986. Otherwise, it's illegal. Bump stocks hadn't been invented, or at least weren't on the market, before 1986. So any bump stock, by definition, didn't make that deadline. So they're all damn illegal, and you can't go register them after the fact. So essentially, they outlawed bump stocks. And that was at the behest, that was on the order of President Trump, with the endorsement and approval of NRA. And so since then, what have we seen the ATF do under President Biden? With that precedent, and I'm sorry, we have to acknowledge it for what it is, as much as I wish President Trump was our president instead of Biden, he owes some accountability on this because now the brace rule that we've talked about here many times, what's that? That's the ATF making up its own rule. The frames and receivers ruling that we're talking about here, that's just ATF making up its own rule that changes the the meaning of a federal statute written by Congress. And that's now being litigated. A court in Texas has found that, that the ATF never had the authority to do what it did. It never had the authority to change the wording of Congress. That now, in a particular form, is in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. We'll pass the bottom of the hour. We'll go, I'll go into detail on what that means and what we may see out of this. When we come back, in the meantime, join the discussion, 317-239-9393. We still have a couple of segments to go. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So why is this frames or receivers ruling from ATF? We're basically there saying... And it goes into more detail than this, but basically they're saying parts of guns are guns too and should be regulated just like guns. And that's a 
gross simplification, but that's what we're talking about. And in in if you sell parts of a gun with instructions or a template to build it into a gun, ah, that enhances the likelihood it's going to be regulated as a, as a firearm. And that's what a court in Texas found that the ATF had no authority to do because they didn't have the ability to rewrite the words of Congress. I think that's true when it comes to President Trump's bump stock ban. It's true of the pistol stabilizer brace rule. It's, it's, it's true of this frames and receivers rule as well. And, and that's why courts are, are striking it down, and that's what happened in Texas. Well, what happened is then the federal government, specifically Merrick Garland, the attorney general, went to the court and said, please stay the effect of this ruling until we can appeal this to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. That's the federal appellate court that has jurisdiction over Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And since this ruling came out of a Texas federal court, that's where the appeal would go. And that request for a stay, meaning don't allow this to go into effect yet, meaning that would prohibit the ATF from enforcing that rule within those three states. The court said, no, we're not issuing a stay. You can appeal if you want, but in the meantime, the ruling strikes this down. And, and, And by the way, I just misspoke. The ruling, I believe, was in the Northern District of Texas. It was one. It was in one particular district within the state of Texas. So that's the, that's the geographic extent of, of its of its ruling right now. If the Fifth Circuit were to were to affirm it and uphold that ruling, then it would be good for the whole state of Texas and Louisiana, Mississippi as well. But at any rate, they asked the court to to stay the the effect of that ruling. And the court said no. So Merrick Garland, Joe Biden's attorney general, ran to the Supreme Court and is now asking the Supreme Court to stay the effect of the ruling, pending the appeal to the Fifth Circuit. The Supreme Court can just deny it without really saying anything about it. They can they can grant the request, which is to say, yeah, the effect of this ruling is stayed pending appeal. And they could do that without any real comment. Or they can go into some substance and talk about why it is they're either denying or granting the stay. In other words, we could get some indication from SCOTUS, and I'm not predicting this, but it's a possibility, on where they're likely to go on this ruling. But i got to tell you, ultimately, whether only from the Fifth Circuit, and, and much more interestingly, whatever happens in the Fifth Circuit when it goes back up to the Supreme Court, What's, what's really intriguing is if we could get a, a Supreme Court ruling at the end of the day, and this isn't going to happen anytime soon. But after it makes its way through the Fifth Circuit, if we could get a, a Supreme Court ruling on what the ATF does and doesn't have the authority to do. And this Supreme Court, in a case called West Virginia versus EPA, came out and was very limited, very restricted in terms of what it said the power of a federal agency is to craft regulation under a federal statute, and essentially said said Congress has to have specifically authorized the discretion of authority that that administrative agency is undertaking in writing a rule. This is particularly true when a rule can put people in jail, that a federal agency is very restricted, and they have to be expressly delegated, expressly authorized by Congress to have gone down that road and exercised that that legislative ability as an agency, which is part of the executive branch, meaning they're not part of the legislature at all. Why are they passing laws, essentially, that can put people in jail when they're not part of the legislature? That's the point. And if the Supreme Court follows, really, that same rationale that it did in an EPA case had nothing to do with guns. It had to do clean air or clean water. I don't recall as I sit here right now. We could get a fabulous ruling that finally reigns back in the ATF on these issues because it's been completely out of control for some time. In the meantime, before we take a break, 
We're coming up on the three-quarter hour, but John called, and John had a question. John, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Thank you, Guy. Hey, I've got a question regarding constitutional carry. Can okay. A can a non-Indiana resident visiting in the state carry constitutionally? Uh, does it apply to non-residents, John? I'm I'm getting a little background noise. But is that is that your question? Is it just Indiana residents or non-residents as well? Yeah, exactly. Can can a non-resident visiting in Indiana carry? Yes, and and in Indiana, um, like uh, most other states that passed it, applies constitutional carry to both residents and non-residents. So the answer to your your question, John, is yes. And it's anyone in Indiana over 18 who's not legally prohibited by state or federal law from possessing a gun can carry a handgun without a license in Indiana. There are now 26 states, including Indiana, that have passed constitutional carry. Of those 25 other states, as passed, originally 24 of them wrote their constitutional carry laws exactly like Indiana, meaning they applied to residents and non-residents. North Dakota was the only state that said, no, you have to be a North Dakota resident for constitutional carry to apply to you. In other words, to carry a handgun without a license within North Dakota. North Dakota then went back just recently and amended their constitutional carry statute to have it apply to non-residents as well. So now all 26 states that have constitutional carry allows both they allow both residents and non-residents to carry, and Indiana's included within that, John, which is the answer to your question. And thanks so much for calling The Gun Guy Show. Tell you what, with the three-quarter hour, we're taking a break. We'll be back for the last segment of The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for the last segment of The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. You know, we're talking about now both candidates running for mayor in Indianapolis want to uh, repeal constitutional carry within Marion County. Well, here's a statistic that I'd like to hear them comment on, both of them, particularly the Republican, Jefferson Shreve, who wants to blame constitutional carry on violence in Marion County, wants to blame law-abiding citizens for the violence in Marion County. So repugnant to me. It makes me angry, frankly, which I'm sure you picked up on if you listen to the Gun Guy show. But interesting study that came out of the University of Colorado. And listen, Colorado, universities generally, but Colorado is a state. You know, Colorado is one of those states, you know, it's like Georgia or Arizona. It's one of those that was strongly Republican, strongly red for a lot of years, generations. And it's really swung blue. It's very swung very Democrat. And Colorado has been horrible on gun control. But the University of Colorado came out with a study, and they compared the number of mass shootings in different states based on how they ranked on being pro-2A or anti-2A. In other words, they looked at it and said, can we say that those states that most strictly regulate firearms, and they looked in particular at constitutional carry or permitless carry. And said, well, is there a correlation here? And get this. Love Jefferson Shreve to answer this or respond to it. And here, by the way, these studies can really vary in what they say and, and, and the data can be manipulated. There's no question about it. But... The definition they used of a mass shooting was four or more deaths from firearms, from being shot in a shooting. And it looked over a particular time frame, 2014 to 2022, so more recently. And they look and they they, they rank states and they looked and they looked at constitutional carry in particular and said, can we draw any conclusions from this? And get this. Of the 10 states that had the least number of mass shootings, and this is per capita, so it's per million inhabitants. And keep in mind, 26 states have constitutional carry. Get this, of the 10 states that have the fewest 
mass shootings, which is four more people killed in a shooting incident, nine of them have constitutional carry. Nine out of ten. Put that in your pipe and smoke at Jefferson Shreve. You know, what did we see? Now, Eli Dickin, my client, Elijah Dickin saved countless lives right here in Indiana. Now, three people died in that incident, three innocent people. Now, he was not carrying with constitutional carry. There was a mistake on that made early on. He had his license to carry. But right here in Indiana, where we have constitutional carry, we had a law-abiding citizen pull his gun once a mass shooting broke out and kill the shooter in 15 seconds. 15 seconds. And there's a law-abiding citizen who saved lives with his lawfully carried firearm. And Joe Hogsett and Jefferson Shreve both want to restrict the number of people lawfully carrying a gun in public? Does that make any sense to you? I wrote an article that said Jefferson Shreve and Joe Hogsett both want to make sure we don't have a hero like Eli Dickin if, God forbid, we see a mass shooting break out in Marion County. Nine out of ten states with the fewest mass shootings. Now, those with the most mass shooting. What led the list? Washington, D.C. Who's got the most restrictive gun laws in the country? Washington, D.C. Now, in fairness, four states that had the most also have constitutional carry, but six do not. You combine that with the fact that nine out of ten with the fewest I'll have constitutional carry. That's a strong argument for me. And this is per capita. So this is adjusted for population. That's a strong argument for me that we're on the right side of this argument. And anti-Second Amendment politicians like Jefferson Shreve and Joe Hogsett are on the wrong side. That's it for the Gun Guy Show. We hope you come back next week.